So this uh, last night broke open a new puzzle at our family, and it's a, it's a globe, a picture of a globe, and it's, it's um, got the wise men, and it's in the shape of a globe, yeah. But it's a 1,000-piece puzzle, and the edges of it are not square, right? And it has proven already to be quite a challenge. I've seen it. I was a little distracted by preparing for today. But I was watching that, and I was like, hmm, what is the best way to put a puzzle together? How many of you are puzzle gurus that you like, but you get distracted by a puzzle? When I walk into customers' houses and I see a puzzle, I just can't help but pick up a piece and plop it in. And then the people go, I've been sitting here for 10 minutes. How did you do that? <laughs> I, I, it's, it's called, you know, that first moment of seeing. Because eventually, after staring at it, you know what I'm talking about? It just kind of becomes blurry after a while. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. What is the best way to put a puzzle together? I need, some, I need some feedback. I do expect that from you guys. I'm not a professional pastor. I just come up here once in a while to fill in. You do what? You do the? You do the edges, right? You match. That, that is the most common thing. How many of you, the edges gets done first? Yeah, absolutely. What would be like the next thing that helps guide you to put that puzzle together? colors so matching the blue so that's what i noticed on this puzzle they'd put all the sky blue ones kind of at the top right and the and and the flowers together and the stars are kind of in in a pile right and so you could walk up to it and that's what i did this morning i thought well now there's some pieces that look like they comprise that star i wasn't putting it together but i was just making a secret stash a nice little pile together because that's my project for this afternoon i'm hoping to put that unless one of you did it while I was outside. But, so what else? Colors, edges, anything else? Shapes, right. So there's some trees, right, and maybe, maybe bushes or buildings, animals, that kind of thing. All of that helps you put that picture together. Now let me ask you a question. Could you pick up one piece out of a thousand piece puzzle and say, this is the picture. Well, why not? It's just, a, it's just a teeny tiny one thousandth of the, of the whole, right? That's right. And so sometimes, we'll discover this morning, sometimes Jesus spoke, or was it all the time, Jesus spoke in parables. Pretty much all the time he spoke in parables, and he'd often put a series of parables together, and we often hear sermons preached on how many of those parables? One, which is like saying, there's one piece of the puzzle. So what I'm going to try to do today is just pull back a little bit and see if we can get the big picture. But I, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of heaven. And so I thought, and I decided this last night, I don't know when last night, but I thought this is kind of an interesting way to start out a sermon. But the kingdom of heaven versus, and that's like fighting words, right? It's like it says that they're at odds with each other, right? 
but maybe I should have just said the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of heaven? Now, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. So I'm assuming all of you have been Christians for at least the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. So he's supposed to seek ye first this kingdom, right? And so I'm assuming that all of you are experts now because you know that this is what you should have been doing. And so I want you to tell me what is the kingdom of heaven and what is the kingdom of God? And then I didn't have to study this last night because this made it easy. I was just going to ask you guys this morning. So what, what is the kingdom of heaven? Hmm. They're all like, this is a trick question. It's a place where God dwells, okay? And so, um, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We hear all this. I mean, Matthew is full of this stuff about the kingdom of heaven. So you're saying it's a, it's a place. It's where, like, you would dwell that's close to God. Any other thoughts on the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of heaven? Somebody else said something over here. It's a place? All right, oh, there you go. Got your face now, thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a place, and we all want to go there, right? We want to be in that kingdom of heaven um, to, do, to dwell there. So then what is the kingdom of God? It's, it's where God is? Okay, that sounds like the kingdom of heaven, okay? Okay, now you're talking about relationship or character, maybe, okay? Yes? Yeah, I almost went there, comparison, United States, and president, yeah. Right, so... The creator, the authority, the top person, it's his character that we're talking about when we're talking about the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of heaven is more the place. What you're saying? Okay, Serena? The people of God could be, make up the kingdom, right? Because he says that, there's, that the kingdom was, is within you, right? Yes, sir. Okay, there you go. Like a territory or... The, he, he rules over something, right? So you have the authority figure, God, and you have the kingdom, which represents so much, right? Okay. I, I'm with you on that. I'm going to advance this. And I... Ooh, that is small. Woo! All right, not even I can read that. Okay, so I says the kingdom of heaven is all about Jesus. And what Jesus is offering us, it is the good news of the gospel. Jesus came to this earth to save us from sin and death. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is all about Jesus. Uh, the gift of God is what? Eternal life. And Jesus wants to be with him and with our Father God for how long? So that's what I argue the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of God is, and I, I'm in agreement with you then here if you read this, the kingdom of God is about his heart and character and the personality of God, okay? 
Uh, we know that God is full of grace and mercy, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. And I believe I wrote down the Exodus 34, verse 5 to 7. Do you guys know where that, what story that was? Remember Moses? And he wanted to see God? God said, well, you can't really look at me, but I'll just cover you like this. And then he made an announcement. And it was, could we see God in that scripture? No, we're hearing about what God is, right? And what is it saying he is? He's a God of grace and mercy and love, right? About long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, God is love, and we all know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We want to have that everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven, right, to live in the kingdom of God. There is a small difference, but there is a difference. So are those kingdoms separate? Could one exist without the other? No, 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 no. But it's still unique. They're still unique, right? So is it important for us to seek to understand the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? A resounding yes, right? Absolutely yes. The kingdom of heaven is important. Why? I got the answers right there. Why is the kingdom of heaven important? John the Baptist preached it, right? What did he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he said, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, I took pieces of three different verses there and put it all together, okay? Is it important that we make the path straight for that kingdom. Where do we make that path straight? It's that first word. It starts here, right? It's like preparing myself to be ready to receive where? Within myself, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus Christ preached it, and he said in Matthew 4, 17, and by the way, open your Bibles Make yourself at home with the scripture that's in, in front of you. There, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can pull out the Bible that's sitting right there in front of you. Matthew 4, verse 17. It says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Does this sound familiar? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hey, if Jesus says it, does that make it pretty important? And if John the Baptist says it, then it's pretty important. And Jesus also said in Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. We already talked about that. And then his disciples, Jesus asked his disciples to preach it. If you go to Matthew 10, Verse 7 and 8. And I really believe that we should have our Bibles in our hands. 
I have, this is a side note, got on my phone and I've read in there and then read the same thing with the Bible in my hand. Has anybody experienced this? And you just feel a closer connection. You feel like this is more real. There's something more to it. Um, it just, I feel more connected with God this way. Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8. Jesus said, but go rather, this is actually verse 6, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach saying, what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is that the same message that Jesus was preaching? Is that the same message that John the Baptist was preaching? Yes. But more than that, we were to also, verse 8, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. He says, freely you have received, freely give. What have we received? We've received the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy. The gift of God is eternal life. That's what we've received, right? Through the Holy Spirit, we believe we have received that. Absolutely. So, You saw this picture. You guys know this story. I'll just tell it to you really quickly. There was six blind men that really, really wanted to see an elephant. And so they were taken to go see the elephant. And the first elephant, he felt the uh, first elephant. The first blind man felt the side of the elephant. Thank you for laughing. I do make mistakes. And he goes, the elephant is like a... The elephant is a wall, like a tall wall, a good solid wall. Well, the second blind man, he got hold of the elephant's leg, and he goes, oh, the elephant's not a wall. It's a tree. And then the third blind man, he got a hold of the, the tusk, right? And he goes, it's not a wall, and it's not a tree. It's a spear. And the fourth for whatever reason, he got a hold of the trunk of the elephant, and he's like, it's not a wall, it's not a tree, it's not a spear, it's like a snake. Well, the fifth one, for whatever reason, he got a hold of his tail. And he was sorely disappointed because it was not a big wall, it's not a tall tree, and it's definitely not a spear. And he says, it's just like a snake. Or maybe like a whip with a, you know, like a rope with a whip-type end on it. And then the sixth person, the sixth blind man, he felt this breeze blowing on his face, and he reached out, and he felt, and he goes, oh, you're all wrong. You're all wrong. It's like a fan blowing in the breeze. So here's the question. Were they all wrong? No were they all right? Kinda? <laughs> it's an elephant. Yeah, well, they all had a picture in their mind that was different, right? Yes, sir. We are, right? In order... They needed to get together and compare notes, didn't they? And say, well, I saw this, I felt that, you know. And, well, feel this. 
and eventually you get this picture of it is this great big animal, right, that you can ride on, that could be a wall, that is strong, right, and has two tusks like spears and four trees, not one, right? That is the picture of an elephant. Well, here we are. The kingdom of heaven is, and I titled it, a picture puzzle of parables. And I put six pictures up there and then realized that there was a seventh parable hidden in this. And so if you look in the bulletin, my notes say, you know, six parables. And I thought it was perfect because there were six blind men, you know. But actually, there's a seventh parable. So let's take a look at this. In Matthew chapter 13, open up to Matthew chapter 13 because this is where all of these parables are. We have the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, verse 1, On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Where was Jesus while he's telling these parables then? He's in a boat. And the people are standing on the shore. How would you like to listen to a long sermon while you're standing? It's reversed now. I should be sitting in the boat. You guys should be standing. No, I'm standing. And then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. And some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on the good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty he who has an ear, let him hear. So here's the question. Who is the sower of the good seed? Remember, we're looking at one piece of the puzzle here, right? And so we're going to analyze that piece. We're looking for the stray edge, right? And that first question, who is the sower? And you say it's Jesus, right? He is the sower of the good seed. Why is he sowing this seed? Where is he sowing it? I'm going to propose he's sowing it everywhere. I mean, he didn't just look for the good soil, did he? He's looking for a harvest anywhere he can find it, and it's the whole world, right? He's sowing the, the word out there, to the, the good seed out to everybody. Who is the wicked one who wants to snatch that good seed away? Satan. And uh, so what is this good seed? The gospel, right? The word of God, the gospel. It's, he's wanting that to take root in the hearts of the people everywhere, right? And what is the ground? We already talked about that. That is us. So here we have a picture of Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this. I'm going out there and I'm sowing the word of God everywhere, and I'm hoping that it falls on ears where it is heard and where hearts are open, right? If you look at Matthew 13, verse 14, and he said, in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, 
Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the heart of this people has grown what? Dull, like rocks, right? And so it's hard for the word of God to grow in hard, hardened hearts, right? He says, their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. So why are they blind? Who closed their eyes? They closed their eyes, right? They closed their eyes. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their what? Ears. Lest they should, and here it is, understand with their hearts and turn. Why? So that they could be what? So they can be healed. Is it important that we see and hear and understand with our hearts? Absolutely. And when we are healed, we can bring forth a harvest. Okay? It goes on to explain the parable um, a little bit there, and you can continue to read that, but we're going to move on. Wait a minute. Backing up. I did. Let me make sure I got it all. So, second parable. The parable of the wheat and your Bibles probably say tares, right? That's not a word that I use all the time, so I just said weeds, right? Anybody ever grow a garden? Yeah? And you planted tomatoes or something like that, right? And that's the only thing that grew up in your garden, right? No? So I'm not the only one that feels the curse of sin, right? Those weeds, those unwanted things, they grow up often more voraciously. You have to very carefully look for what? What you actually planted. Anybody been there? It's like, okay, somewhere in this mess of stuff, these weeds, is maybe my carrots, right? So let's read it. The wheat and the tares, Matthew 13, 24 to 30. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Again, who is sowing the good seed? There's your straight edge. We can put the pieces together. He is the sower. It's like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while the men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went on his way. Who's the enemy? Satan. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, do you not want us, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then, is it, how then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And they said, Well, do you want us to go and gather them up? And he said, Oh no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest at the and time at the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather the tares, bind them in bundles, burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So, in this case, what is the good seed? Are you sure? It's right there. Look it up, Matthew 13, 38. 37, Jesus answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. You guys are right on that one. But verse 38, the field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the, what? 
the sons of the kingdom. Now, in the first parable, the seed was the word, right? But in this case, in this time, he says that the seeds are the sons of the kingdom and the tares are the sons of the wicked one. And the enemy who sowed them is the... And the harvest is at the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. So, we'll summarize this. Jesus, again, is going around and he is sowing. But in this case, he's taking you. Can you picture this? And he's saying, go out there and yield good fruit. Does that make sense? Yeah. And the enemy, he takes evil people and he threw them amongst us, right? And they're sowing seeds of discontent and lying and stealing and cheating and, and putting thoughts in people's minds. And Jesus cares so much about the harvest, right? That he doesn't want any to perish. You get that picture? Here is a God who says, I don't want anybody to perish, and so we're not going to pull up the weeds. Have you ever done that, where you pull up the weeds and out came your special plant? And you're like, oh, no, 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 and you try to put it back in the soil, and it doesn't always, what? It doesn't always grow again. I had strawberry plants that I finally just ripped them up because I had these what kind of grass is that called that just goes down deep and everywhere, right? Crabgrass, right? I had awful crabgrass that would just wind up inside of there, and I would just dig up entire shovels, and I'd shake all the crabgrass, I'll pull it out, and I'd try planting my strawberry plants back in place. Well, it would take all year for them to survive and kind of come back alive, and then the next year, the crabgrass was back, and I was just like, I, that's it, okay? That's it. I'm not a very good farmer. I don't have that green thumb, right? They were being choked out. So, I'm going to move on. The parable of the mustard seed. Matthew 13, just two verses, 31 and 32. Matthew 13, 31 and 32. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a what? So what is, okay, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air can what? Yeah, they can nest in its branches. They feel safe in its branches. So, question is, who is the sower of the mustard seed? It's still who? Christ. I heard you say it. Don't be afraid to speak up, right? And so this is that straight edge. Well, like the puzzle we're putting together, it's that flat edge, whatever you want to call it. It kind of curves. But there's your common piece to put it together. Again, Jesus is the active member here, and he is planting this mustard seed, and the kingdom of heaven is what the mustard seed represents, right? And so this kingdom of heaven is something that when it is planted, where is that mustard seed being planted? Based on the other two pieces of the puzzle, 
It's being planted in good soil, probably in our hearts, right? And there it can grow into something, even though it starts very small. Now, we have a clue later on when Jesus says something about a mustard seed. What did he say? If you have what? Faith like a mustard seed, you could do great things, right? So this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Have faith in God. Have faith to trust his word, and you can move mountains, right? And this mustard seed, though it is small, can become large, an amazing thing. Have you ever met somebody that had great faith? Have you ever had great faith and later not had it? Does, does you ever see your faith kind of do this kind of thing? I think our mustard seeds sometimes need to be stretched a little bit, exercised a little bit more. All right, moving on. The parable of the leaven. Matthew, it's just one verse. Verse 33. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven. Now this one's an interesting one. Who is Christ in this picture? He's the yeast? You think so? Then who's the woman? We are? God could be the woman? I, I agree. I think that's what it is. I think God actually is the woman in this picture and saying, here's the leaven, which is, again, like the word of God, which when planted in your heart and your soul, it changes everything. Have you noticed when you see somebody accept Christ, how it changes their life? It starts to affect everything from the way they speak to the way they act to the things that... The, the job that they choose to do, everything, their whole goal and purpose in life, everything changes. The kingdom of heaven changes everything. Another piece of the puzzle, right? The parable of the hidden treasure. Again, just one verse. Matthew 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like, what is the kingdom of heaven like? Hidden treasure treasure and a hit, hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field the kingdom of heaven is like what it's hidden treasure so who is the man that finds it what do you think it could be us right? It could be somebody who's never heard of the gospel before, and they discover this amazing good news, right? And they're like, wow! And then they go, and they're willing to what? Sell or sacrifice everything. What are they having to give up? It could be their lifestyle. It could be self, right? Willing to do whatever it takes, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, what? Go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then what? Basically, I've reconciled this in my mind because I haven't sold everything I have, right? 
is like this. Jesus knew what was going to keep that person from following him. He says, you need to follow me. In order to do that, you need to go sell all that you have. And if that's what it takes, then we need to be willing to do that. Because is the kingdom of heaven worth giving up all that we have for? Yes, amen, it is, right? That is what we need to be willing to do. All right, moving on. The parable of the pearl of great price, Matthew 13, 45 to 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of is like who? A merchant. Now notice in all of these, it starts out with the kingdom of heaven is like, and at first person it lists, that is what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. Somebody said pearl. That is not what I read in my Bible. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went out and sold all that he had and bought it. I want to talk about this just a little bit. How are pearls made? Usually in an oyster shell, there could be several different kinds of creatures, but oyster shells typically, but the oyster doesn't just say, I think I'm going to make pearls, and we just program it to start making pearls. What causes the oyster to start making pearls? An irritation, right? It could be dust, an irritant, a parasite, often is what it, you know, that crawls in there and gets in there. And so what's that oyster start to do? It, there's an, it excretes something, right? And it covers it. And then it covers it with another layer and then another layer, and it keeps covering it because it's like, this, this is an irritant, and I want to make sure it doesn't bother me because I want to be comfy and cozy inside my shell. And eventually, it forms what? A pearl. I'm going to propose a different way of seeing this because most of us interpret this as the kingdom of heaven, just like, just like the, the uh, parable right before this, is something that we need to be willing to give up everything for, which we do. That was illustrated in the puzzle piece right before this. But in this case, I'm going to propose that we are the pearl. Just think about this for a minute. At our core is what? That irritant, which represents what? Sin. Somebody else said something. Yeah, tribulation, troubles, trials. I'm just going to say sin at our core, right? And by accepting the gospel, by being changed through the word of God, I'm going to propose that Jesus is the one out there looking for the pearl of great price. And when he finds that pearl of great price, he's willing to give up how much? Did he give up everything for you? He did, didn't he? I like that. Because we're talking about a loving, personal Savior who's who's out there sowing the word of God, looking for a harvest 
And when that harvest comes, he wants to keep that harvest until the very end. He doesn't want to lose anybody. And he's willing to give up his life for that pearl, for that wheat, for that harvest, for the fruit, whatever is harvested there for you and for me. And here's, here's the interesting thing, is that I am imagining when I look at Revelation and I see the picture of the new Jerusalem, right? And we know what each one of those foundations is built from. And we know how many gates are there? Twelve. And what are those gates made of? So what are they going to be a reminder of every time you fly through that gate? That I am a pearl bought with a price, and at the core of me was sin, but Christ has covered me with his righteousness. I want you to look again at Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of what? And what? I think we missed something. And his what? And his righteousness. We're to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. We've got it wrong when we say, I'm going to be righteous. Right? It's whose righteousness? His righteousness. He covers us with layer upon layer upon layer until we become a beautiful what? A beautiful pearl in the kingdom of God. Last but not least, the parable of the dragnet. Matthew 13, 47 to 49. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. What is a dragnet, you guys? This is, anybody were fishermen? I know there was a few fishermen in this congregation. It's a large net, right? That gets dragged behind a boat, is that right? Yeah, you got like connected in two spots, so you just drag, okay, yeah, you're, Sane. Okay. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a sane, like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind. When you went fishing, did he get all sorts of things in that sane? Yeah, yeah. So it was not always the fish that you were looking for, right? Which, when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down, gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. I don't like the negative side of it, right? But let me ask you a question. Let's look at the positive. Again, at the heart of Jesus, when he goes fishing for men, is he out there with a real... He ain't going to catch many people with that, will he, right? He's throwing out a net that encompasses the whole world, and he's going to pull it all in. He's looking for a complete harvest, right? And yes, there'll be a separation, but we have a choice whether we're going to be good or we're going to be found wanting, right? Because it says he'll separate the wicked from amongst the who? from the just. I love the story that Este told because it's like a little clue that here is somebody who you can trust. 
Isn't that a nice reputation? I think we all have, I don't know, maybe I would have kept inspecting, you know? <laughs> but maybe we have the, the trust factor is there, right? And we all have a responsibility to uphold that, right? We're all human, and can, can error creep into our hearts and our souls? Absolutely. But we want to be outstanding citizens in this kingdom as well as in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, render therefore unto Caesar. In other words, abide by the rule and the law of the kingdom that you're in, right? Be outstanding citizens, absolutely. All right, here we go. Oop, 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 oop. I don't want to go there yet. Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? Do you think they did? I, I question it. They said, oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And then he said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder bring, who brings out of his treasure things new and things old. I had to ponder that verse a lot. I'm still pondering that verse. Maybe you guys can help me with this just a little bit. I was listening to the radio recently, and I heard about Andrew Carroll, the self-appointed historian. Upon a family tragedy where a house burned down and he lost a bunch of important things, he started collecting letters. Letters that were written by soldiers, American soldiers, and submitted, sent home to loved ones. And he carries, he, he has collected these letters. He's been on Dear Abby and a bunch of different things. And people have sent him in letters from all over the continent. He now has over 100,000 letters. And his goal is to get over a million letters. And he's putting them into a library for us to be able to review. And it's fascinating, fascinating listening to him. And his most valued, important documents, letters that he has, there's about two dozen of them, he keeps them in a leather pouch that he calls his football. And the football is so important to him that he actually has handcuffs whenever he, wherever he goes with that leather pouch, he handcuffs himself to the leather pouch. Some of those letters predate 1776 from the winter freezing nights and Valley Forge to every war that is happening around there in the world. One of the letters was written by a young American soldier who had just gone into the apartment of Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler was just found having hung himself, and he saw the horrors of what he was there. He felt compelled to write a letter home, found some stationery. It's written on Adolf Hitler's personal stationery and wrote a letter home. Letters from people who said, I'm trapped, I'm dying. Ground Zero, 9-11, wrote a letter home. He's got those. He's got those. And he's hanging on to them and values them with his life. Okay? Some of these are written on napkins. Some of them are written on old cloth that's starting to fall apart. All of those letters have been put in special plastic, you know, to preserve them and their originals. 
My question for you is, how important is the kingdom of heaven and the gospel to you? How important are these things? Do you carry the word of God like it's that important to you? Do you make it a part of your life that you won't let go, that nobody's going to steal it from you? Jesus said, every scribe. A scribe is what? Teachers of what? The everlasting gospel. Every scribe is instructed concerning the king that is instructed concerning the kingdom of, of heaven is like a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. So what new and old things do you have? What kind of treasure do you have? Have you laid up treasure in heaven? Have you had experiences where you can say, I can see how God is led? And what can you do with those treasures of yours? Do you share them? Do you tell people about how God has worked in your life? New stories, old stories, Bible stories, personal testimonies, lessons learned. I am going to challenge you. Bring them out often. Share the good news and always be ready with a willing spirit to share the gospel of God. Of God. Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6 says, You shall be a special treasure to me above all people. You shall be to me a kingdom of what? And a holy nation. Early on at the beginning, I asked what the kingdom of God was, and somebody said, we make up the kingdom of God. And that is so true. We are part of the kingdom as priests in God's kingdom. So, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Can you say that? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. God has given his son to die for you so that you can have eternal life. Here's the challenge, because remember the sower of the seed? Those that were among the thorns, those among the rocks? He says, they received it with joy, and then it was wilted out. Here's what you need to do. Hear the word of the Lord. Understand the word of the Lord. Know that you are valued and love, child of God. Receive the good news of the gospel with joy, and then bear fruit, right? Tell everyone of the love, the mercy, and forgiveness of God. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, help us to see what might be choking out your word in our life. Help us to see how we have a treasure box of gifts from you, experiences, the word of God, testimonies, all this. May we be willing to share it. May we treasure it like the hidden treasure. And above all, Lord, help us to recognize that we are the pearl of great price that you value and are seeking and wanting to save. And not only that, but that our neighbors, the second commandment, we are to love our neighbors, we love ourselves, our neighbors and those people that we come in contact with. Lord, these two are precious pearls that need to be in your kingdom. May you use us and speak through us in a special way as we carry this whole message, this gospel to the world.